You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, check this out. Very small changes towards a healthier lifestyle can add up in a big, big way. But maybe you're not sure exactly where to begin. I can tell you where. Grove Collaborative. Introducing Grove Collaborative. Running to the store has been pretty stressful of late, right? There's nothing worse than forgetting something on your list, needing to make multiple trips. Shopping for home essentials should be easy. It should be convenient. And this is exactly where Grove Collaborative comes in. Keeping a clean and healthy home is way more important than it's ever been. Once again, this is where Grove Collaborative comes in. Healthy, plant-based, non-toxic cleaning products which work. I think we all agree on that. But then you ask yourself, where do I start? Who do I trust? Where do I get it? Grove Collaborative. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. It has never been more important to me personally than to make the right choices, to make the right decisions. And that's why I lean on Grove Collaborative. Healthy, plant-based, non-toxic cleaning products which work. Making the switch to natural products has never been easier and for a limited time. When you go to grove.co slash Rome, you will get to choose a free gift with your first order of $30 or more. But you have to use our special code. Write this down, grove.co slash Rome to get your exclusive offer. Once again, that's grove.co slash Rome. And he was in the back playing ball. So we make our way over there, make our way through over there and everything. As I'm walking up, he turned around and he seen me like, what's up, Q? Wow. Right there, I'm almost about to fall out and just die right there. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, like, MJ, he just called me Q and da 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 So I'm like, I'm tripping. Hey, now, what's cracking? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast, episode 174 of the pod, if you keep it scored home. This week, I've got a conversation that I've been looking forward to. Good to have this one on deck. With the NBA playing games already underway, I'm going to chop it up with one of the best in the business when it comes to talking hoops. He is the pride of DePaul, a 13-year NBA vet, winner of the 2005 three-point contest, part of the Orlando Magic broadcast team, and co-host of the Knuckleheads podcast. He, of course, is Quentin Richardson. Q is good, man. He is solid. I cannot wait to get caught up proper with him. So let's get right at it. Episode 174 of the Jim Rohn Podcast with Quentin Richardson starts right now. Now, Quentin, you and I have never done anything long form like this before. So let me just say, first and foremost, I've really, really been looking forward to it. I appreciate you. Thanks for making time for doing this. How you living, dude? How are things? I'm good. I'm good. I can't complain, you know, under all the circumstances. I'm, I'm me and the family. I will. Good. That's all I can ask for. All right. So let me start right here. Like, you know, how chemistry is in sports, right? Those who have it know how important it is. And then those who don't have it say it's overrated. But from where I'm sitting, it's just not right. Like you and your dude, Darius Miles, you guys clearly have it. So let me start right there. One podcast host to another. What's it been like chopping it up together and doing your thing on the knuckleheads pod? What's that experience been like for you? Man, right? I mean, we, we couldn't even dream it up, to be honest, man. It was something that <clears throat> was totally unplanned, 
and um, that we kind of, you know, you know, I would say stumbled into, but it's been something that just come natural because we've done it forever. This is where, you know, we've been fans of the NBA prior, I mean, basketball and the NBA in general prior to making the league. And um, we were obviously friends since, you know, he was in eighth, eighth grade. I was in, in high school, sophomore year. And, um, you know, this is what we've done forever. So, I mean, it, it's absolutely natural, but, I mean, it was definitely never planned out. But it's been um, a tremendous ride, man, and the support from the fans and everything like that and the and our peers because, you know, no way we could have a success without having a guest and those fans, all those guys and, and the women, too, that's come on the show. I've been unbelievable. See, I mean, that's such a big thing. And I want to get into some of these guests. In fact, I will right now. Like, when you guys do this, you immediately like to like or like to ask the guys when they first come on that when they first got into the league, who was the first guy to bust their ass? So let me turn that around on you, right. Q. Who got you first? <laughs> Uh, Rashawn Leonard, Rashawn Leonard, my rookie year, uh, you know, it was one of the games in the preseason where, you know, they kind of let everybody get a chance to start or play or whatever. And this is my first game in Denver as well. And, you know, everybody knows about the altitude there. And, you know, I, t- I totally took, took Rashawn for granted, you know, being a young guy, 19, I knew who he was, but I just, you know, I'm like, he's not, he's like one of the guys, you know, like, but then you, that's when you first find out that everybody in the NBA is there for a reason. And six minutes in, that first time outcome, he had 17 points on me, and I came to the bench gas, and Darius Miles and Keon Doolin was looking at me laughing. Dude, like that that altitude, that's a real thing, right? That's a real deal. Absolutely. For people who do not understand that, what's that like to work out and play in that altitude? It's it, it's a different animal because um you you don't I mean like you say it's, you you're not even aware of it as you know me as an athlete I'm not aware of that because I mean I'm from Chicago I've never been to you know Denver Colorado and played there so it's like that's your first time even encountering something like that and um I think that was a part of the thing that we kind of took for granted that that oh four oh five year in Phoenix because we. We came out and we didn't think we were running as fast or playing as fast as everybody else did, but we trained. We had training camp in Flagstaff, Arizona, where it's elevated and the altitude is high, and we did all of those things. And so we were in unbelievable shape, but we didn't realize that we were going that much faster than everybody. Oh, there's no doubt. Like, I I mean, I wouldn't even know at that level, but I've done. For instance, we used to have a house in Montana, and I would just knock out some ellipti- elliptical like at 7,000 feet, 8,000 feet. I'm like, yo, man, why am I dying 10 minutes into this workout? Like, why can't I breathe? It- it's a legitimate thing. It's a real thing. Now, when you started your career, like here in L.A., Q, it's, it's a wild ride, of course, with the Clippers year after year after year after year. You started there. I'm kind of curious. What was the Clipper experience like for you? When you think back on those years, what do you think about most? Man, I think about my teammates. I mean, I still got some of my, you know, some of my closest friendships. Corey McGetty, Keon Dooling, um, um, D Miles, obviously, uh, Lamar Odom, those guys, and, um, you know, a lot of the other teammates, but those, those guys right there that I mentioned, those are some of my closest friends to this day. We've, you know, been to each other's weddings and, and know each other's kids and things like that. And so, um, for me, those days, and, and I, I, I'm now, you know, obviously, once you leave, you realize that you were, you were living in kind of like the, you know, in the, in the under the stairs, like a stepchild a little bit with the treatment. But I mean, while we were first there, I mean, for us, it was the first everything, so it was great. It was just like, man, we were just some bright-eyed kids just trying to start our career off. So for us, 
it wasn't as strenuous as it may have seemed from the outside to the rest of the NBA. But once we left, we were like, oh, wow, <laughs> that was crazy what we had going on in L.A. compared to what you get to see when you see other organizations and how things really work. Wow, Q, like that. That's a great line. I was going to ask you about a couple of those teammates, and I probably will follow back. But when you make that statement that we were like the stepchild living under the stairs, can you kind of elaborate on that? How so? What do you mean by that? I mean, like, we were a professional basketball team, and we practiced at a, at a junior college, you know, and I, I, and I had, you know, I had no problem with that because it was, you know, it was in the South, South Central L.A. neighborhood, you know, not, not much different from the neighborhood I grew up in and, and know about it from Chicago. So, for me, I was, com- I was, you know, comfortable, but I was like, you know, once you get to go and you see uh, a, a Phoenix Suns organization, and I go to the New York Knicks, and then you go to the EUC, and you get to, you get exposed to other all of these other facilities and what they're doing. It's like nobody else is, is practicing at a junior college at all. And then it's like we didn't, we weren't literally, we weren't able to take showers in the gym after we would have to put towels on our cars because we had guys that had nice cars. You no shower till you get home, dude. I mean that that is crazy. It's Small Business Month, and Dell Technologies and Windows are celebrating your unstoppable drive. Save up to 45% on powerful PCs with Windows 10 Pro to work from anywhere and top monitors and docks for the ultimate business setup, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Speak to a Dell Technologies advisor who can help you find the right business tech, server, storage, and cloud solutions at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL for Small Business Month savings. This is the association, and we're not talking about the association in the 40s, dude. We're talking about the association in the year 2000, right? Literally. So you look at guys like a, a, a Keon Dooling, a Corey McGetty, they went to Duke and, you know, Missouri. Those guys went to big universities. DePaul didn't have the crazy facilities, so it wasn't that crazy of a change for me. I can't say that we had better facilities and all this at DePaul, but, like, those guys absolutely had better facilities in college than, than what we were dealing with. Oh, 100%. And, of course, it all starts at the top. I mean, like, you remember the first time you met Donald Sterling? Like, what was that like? I say all the time, it was, it was for me, it was casual. Because, I mean, you got to look at the grand scheme of things. So, you know, when I got drafted, I was the 18th pick. Keon Dooney was the 10th. D-Miles was the 3rd. So it was two guys kind of ahead of me, so to speak, as far as, like, who, you know, who they would want to meet and talk to or whatever. So I was always kind of in that that position to where I could I could speak and just kind of fade to the best. And that's what I always did. I didn't want to be up front in the owner's face trying to do any of that. So I would, when I first met him, I didn't think anything of it. I, I, I met him, said hello. I don't remember whether we shook hands or what have you. I would imagine we definitely shook hands or something. But after that, I faded back to the background. <laughs> and that was how I kind of always played it. Right. You know, you mentioned your teammates like Corey McGetty. I remember the first time I saw Corey McGetty, I'm like, holy bleep. Like, like this cat, this cat is explosive, man. This cat is athletic. This dude is strong. What did you make of Corey when yeah. you first saw him and you saw him in practice? Like, what was he like? So this is the, the funny thing about me and Corey. People, a lot of people don't know that Corey's from Chicago, like me, suburbs in Chicago. But, you know, Chicago, he's from uh, Maywood. I met Corey in sixth grade. Hmm. And everything you just said, I thought the same thing at sixth grade. Wow. He was he was taller than everybody. He was more athletic than everybody. He was stronger than everybody. He had cuts and, and, and muscles in his arms before everybody. He was everything you just said, he was that in sixth grade when I first played against him. 
That's incredible. Like Chicago, I can't wait to talk to you about Chicago, but one more guy. You mentioned Lamar, and I think that when most people or a lot of people think about Lamar Odom, you know, so many crazy things come to mind, but like what was Lamar like as a dude and a teammate, and how crazy was his skill level at that time for a dude who went 6'10 and the things that he could do? Because essentially he could do everything at that size. Absolutely. That was that was, that was a do-it-all guy. I mean, I, I always felt like that that L.O. was too unselfish to be the superstar that everybody else was because he, he, he cared too much about his teammates. He wanted everybody else to shine. He wanted everybody else to get the ball, to feel like they playing and to be part of the team. And if he was, you know, not, not the, you know, I mean, every superstar has to have some sort of a selfish mentality. So I'm not saying it in a bad way, but he just didn't have that selfishness in him to go and say I'm going to go average 24, 25 points a game and shoot that many times a game to do that. He would, he would pass too many times to do that. Now, I agree with you. I think that every great player is selfish, and he, he absolutely would have been that guy and could have been that guy and could have been that alpha if he wanted to, but maybe he didn't have that selfish gene or however you want to put it. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, you know what we want? We want beef. We want beef, pure and simple. So where is the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. No, Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go. Make sure you look for it in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. That's why it's in a Clearview bag. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? Now, you mentioned Chicago. Like, you're from Chicago. You rep the hometown hard, understandably so. So how much of who you are on and off the floor is about where you're from? Everything. I would say, I mean, after, after my pops, and my and my family and my sister, uh, I would say my uh, being from Chicago has everything to do with with everything about me, my my mentality, my demeanor, uh, my toughness, my 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 perseverance, my uh, strength, everything, everything has to do with, with with my with my upbringing in Chicago, my experiences, the lessons I learned in my neighborhood and my community, and, and coming up in, in in the city playing basketball and, and going to DePaul in the city playing basketball and the things I learned on a collegiate level, seeing different things and being exposed to different things by the city of Chicago. All right, so if you're a Chicago baller, obviously then Michael Jordan is your guy, obviously. Now, you know how this goes, right? And I've heard you talk about it, Q, and I talk about this on my show too. Sometimes when you meet your idol, it's like the best thing ever because how lucky are you to actually get the opportunity? But sometimes when you meet your idol, it can go really, really badly. Where and when did you first meet Mike and how did that go? Unbelievably, it went it went as as storybook or unbelievable as you can as you can think of. So as as oddly as it may sound, or as like out of the world, but true as it may sound, is is uh, MJ's ex wife Juanita. Her family 
grew up on the next block from me. So they, so her, I don't know if it was her, my mom or her, whoever it was, they own, they, they still lived there when I was growing up. So every once in a blue moon, MJ would come to the neighborhood. So this is in my senior year. This is in my, I want to say, yeah, this is my senior year when I'm about to go to DePaul. He's over there, I want to say, I don't know if it was like a, a Mother's Day or Easter or something like that. The whole neighborhood is going crazy. And me and one of my friends were standing out in front of the house talking. Then, you know, we like, man, something going on. Because it's just like, it was like kids running through the alleyway, cars, traffic, just un- unusual, a lot of traffic. So we like, kid come back and say, yo, Q, uh, MJ want to wanna talk to you. He on the next block. MJ want to talk to you. I'm like, me and my homie look at each other. And he like, nah, we like, we sure about to walk over here and see because something's going on. So so we go through the alley. As soon as you come through the alley, it's just pandemonium. There's people everywhere. Cars, traffic, people literally everywhere. And it's them, you see MJ over there. MJ is in the yard, like, playing catch with the whole whoever, just throwing back and forth to the whole crowd. Whoever throw the ball back, he catches, then throw it back. Then he was in the back. He had put, like, a court in the back. And he was in the back playing ball. So we make our way over there, make our way to through over there and everything. And as I'm walking up, he turned around and he seen me. He's like, what's up, Q? Wow. Right there, I'm almost about to fall out and just die right there. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this man, like, that's MJ. He just called me Q and da 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 So I'm like, I'm tripping. But, you know, he we sat down afterwards. He talked. And, you know, he, I was telling him I'm going to Paul and this and that, and he was like, you know, that's good. You know, and he was just, he was just cool, just telling me, you know, to, you know, keep my head on straight and to do the right things. And, you know, I have a shot to do what I need to do. And, and it was just for me, the fact that he knew my name and called me by my name, I was like, you know, I was, I was, cause I knew his nephews, you know, because obviously we grew up on the next block from each other. His nephew, Carl and John, I knew them, played together and stuff like that, just in the neighborhood. But it was just crazy. You know what I'm saying? It was crazy. No, dude, listen. I mean, you were a pretty big deal, obviously. But you're a senior in high school. This guy's a block over. And your guy, Mike. Mike, what's up, cued you? I mean, dude, how hard were you tripping that day? That's what I'm saying. Like, I, like when we left, that was what I kept saying to, to my homie. I'm like, yo, listen. He, you saying that, man? He turned around and said, what's up? Me, call me Q. I was like, I kept saying, call me Q. Like, that's... Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, even more amazing when you consider all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. That's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Your first encounter with MJ went a lot better than my first encounter with MJ. If you can indulge me for one minute, I just want to tell this story really quickly. So back in the day, I used to rap with George Raveling quite a bit. And I love Ravs. And Q, I don't know why, but Ravs liked me back. And he would tell me, I'm going to get you Mike. I'm going to get you Mike. Mike will come on your show. And I'd be like, come on, George. Ravs you know he's not. Best. You know he's not. And for months, yeah, Ravs the best. 
So for months, Ravs is going, I got you, I got you. He'll do it. I'll get him to do it. And Michael obviously would never do it. But then the movie Space Jam drops, and I've got this tiny, tiny part in the movie. And I said, George, that's it, man. Tell Mike we can promote the movie. So someday, Q, one day, somehow, some way, George puts a phone in Mike's hand and convinces him to call me on my radio program for like three minutes. I want you to listen to this shit that I drop on Mike and how badly it goes for me. Listen to this, Q. I saw part of the movie, Mike, and uh, I just want to thank you for co-starring in my movie with me. <laughs> That's what I heard. I co-starred with you. And thanks for, the, for doing that. That was nice of you. Actually, I take it back, Hugh. The fuck? The fuck was I thinking? Thanking Mike for being in my movie Space Jam. He actually rolled with that better than I remember him rolling with that. <laughs> But that, that's the kind of bull crap I had in me back in the day. But, but, Q, the best part of that story, he was in Santa Barbara. All right, so that's my town. I went to UC Santa Barbara. I got my start in radio okay. in Santa Barbara. Mike loved it up there. You used to work his camps. What do you remember yes. about those camps in Santa Barbara and that time there? Uh, man, those were the coolest camps. Those were the, I started it when I was in college, so... The way it worked, he would get, he would compile like, you know, all of the best college players around the country that were, they went to, uh, they went to Nike schools, obviously. And, um, they would come and we would be counselors at the, at the camp. And, um, it was just one of the best experiences, man. You get to come out, like you say, you at UC, Santa Barbara, you out there at the beach and all of that, you working with kids. And it's like, you know, you working them, you coaching out, you coaching basketball. And it's like, it's cool from that standpoint. But then you get to, you know, you get to brush elbows with the best players in the country. If you didn't know them, you get to meet some of the other guys and those type of things. And then the best part is at the end of the day, after all of the train, after all of the stuff with the kids is over, you had a you, you get to you get to have a pickup game, which was like the best part of everything. MJ plays, different NBA players may or may not come in town or be in town and, and play. So it was always just that was the best part of everything. You get to play out there with MJ, and you really out there. And MJ at this point still was really hooping, hooping. So it was it was good. It was good. So I wonder, like, MJ, like, how long was he hooping? How hard was he hooping before he hit Sandpiper or one of the local golf courses? Man, MJ hooped, hooped all the way up to, like, 2000, like, six, seven, and maybe a little longer, something. Like, where he was, like, still, and, yeah, because, like, it got, like, guys, even when they changed the rules, when he became an owner, then it went to where, like, just more pros started doing it, so he just cut it out. But, like, cause it was a couple years where we were still in L.A. in, like, 03, 04, when I was still in L.A., where I still went up there. And it was still, and, like, MJ was still playing and still, you know, being competitive MJ. But, I mean, if you remember that, especially, like, from 90, 99, when I was in college, 99, 2000, 2001, he was really competitive because that was when he was still working there, and he came back to play with the Wizards during that time. So he was still, like, MJ. No, I love that. And I love that you have such good feelings about that town. That's an amazing town. You know, and since I went to UC Santa Barbara, Q, obviously our, our most famous baller was Brian Shaw. And I love, love B. Shaw. And when I think about Brian Shaw, I think about yeah, the great B. ballers from Oakland, cool. right? B. Shaw, J. Kidd, Gary Payton, Damian Lillard, on and on. And then you think about all the other amazing street ball cities, right? New York, L.A., Philly, D.C., Chicago, where you're from. I mean, like, could you look at guys and their style and their game and their swag? And if you didn't know who they were, would you know where they were from by the way they played? I feel like in our in our era you could kind of like we we at least we at least I feel like we stereotyped it and we may hit or miss but I feel like for the most part we felt like 
guys that had like you know a, a good ball, like a good handle and could handle the ball and was quick but couldn't shoot. That was like New York East Coast type players because they play a lot of outside park ball and they don't really shoot a lot. And um, we felt like guys that could shoot and was smooth but didn't like contact. We felt like that was West Coast LA cats and California players. We felt like that you know uh, the Midwest. Uh, Midwest Southern dudes were a little bit more rugged and tough, and um, but we felt like that. I feel like we felt like in, in Midwest and Chicago that we was we was well rounded. We could do everything. I love that breakdown. That's great. Ever think things like this? Like I'm not going very far, or I'm in a rush, or it's too uncomfortable, or sometimes I just forget. Listen, do not kid yourself. There is no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you've used any of these excuses or any others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2019, nearly 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 43% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. So no matter what kind of a car you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still have to buckle up. The same goes for when you ride in taxis or you use ride-sharing services too. Law enforcement is on the lookout and writing tickets, so why would you take that risk? Seatbelts save lives. Do the smart thing. Buckle up every single trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. So we talked about your podcast and the guests. Like, so Kobe comes through and he sits with you and Darius for the pod. And I mean, look, you were peers, right? But the Mamba was just different. Like, he had this incredible presence. It was almost surreal. Like, I watched back that interview that you guys did with him so I could get ready to talk to you today. And it was just eerie, man, to listen to Kobe and watch him. Like, what was it like for you to sit with him that day on your pod and just kind of chop it up with him? Man, that was one of the best days we had on the pod, man. Because it was, like I say, that was the, like, we're not personal friends of Kobe. And we don't, we've never really talked to him offline or off the court or any of that stuff and hung out or did any of that stuff. It, something that wasn't, you know, basketball related or anything like that. So we didn't have that relationship. But I think we all, you know, we both have respect for him and he had respect for both of us. And um for us that day when we got to go there and shoot that up and um it was it was that was the dopest part, man, just for us to be able to chill where we not in that competitive mode whenever we would be around each other and we got the, you know, talk about what we appreciated about him. He got to do the same for us. And, you know, like I say, like I said in the episode, if you played in that time when Kobe was in the league, you wanted his respect. And anybody that say different is lying. And so, you know, that, that was the other good part about it, to know that the top dude doing it, he respected us in a way, that, you know, that, we, that you want to be respected. And, no, we wasn't an all-star. We wasn't Hall of Fame. We wasn't nowhere near his level. But everybody that played a game, when you play against the Lakers and you playing against Kobe Bryant, you about to go out there and try and show out because it's against Kobe Bryant. Just like when everybody played against MJ, you wanted to show out because it's against MJ. You know, like you, you, you're Chicago tough. Like I've heard you talk about it too. That if you come up where you came up, you had to hoop, you had to learn to fight, you had to be tough. You just had to. It's just the way you came up and where you're from. So you are tough and you're physical. So when you think about the Mamba mentality, for instance, and his toughness, what did that represent to you? Uh, I say that all the time as well because. 
that was one of the things I would do when I played against some of the guys, the the, the, uh, the, the whoever the higher scores were, the Ray Allens, the T Max, the Vince Carter's, the uh, you know the Kobe's, whoever, and the, the you know the wing Paul Pierce, the guys on the wing that I would have to guard. If they were more, you know, if they had more leeway to shoot and score, and I knew they were going to be, you know, high volume guys. I knew I was going to come out there and I was going to physical you today. Like, I knew that was the one thing that I possessed over you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I may not be able to come back at you and go and shoot 20 times too, but okay. My mindset was that I, I'm, I'm you who you are, so I'm going to get four or five of these fouls anyway, so I'm going to make them count. Like, they're going to really count, and you're going to know I'm here. But the thing about Kobe was that he didn't care. He was the one person that nothing was going to change. If anything was going to change, he might go up another lot notch, which was hard to do because he was always at the top level anyway. But it was the off chance that you could do something that would piss him off and then he would go into, I don't know what other world he would go to, but that was always a possibility with him. And he was the one person that you knew out there on the court, like, okay, he might do anything. We didn't watch him shoot left-handed, pass himself off a backboard, like he'll legit do anything on the court. So that was the one thing that was always different than him when you play with him, against him than anybody else. That stuff's so good. I could talk to you about him forever. You know, our time is limited, so I'm going to pick my spots. You mentioned Paul Pierce. Like, you've had some legends roll through that pod, like Alphas, Hall of Famers. Paul Pierce, now you want to talk about a dude living his best life. You tell me I'm wrong. My man is throwing stripper poker parties on Instagram Live. He's starting up weed companies. He's getting into the Hall of Fame. He's ending up on your podcast. Dude, you tell me, is there anyone anywhere living a better life right now than the truth? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we definitely had a great time with him on the pod, man. We got to talk about a lot of cool stuff. As far as everything else, man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I think Paul is, is doing pretty good as far as his life, his personal life, and everything's going. And that's all I do. I wish him the best, man. I wish, wish all, all my peers and all of us the best. I mean, you know, I, I think that's a little slip up or whatever as far as that, the Instagram and all that thing goes. But I mean, like you said, Paul is Hall of Fame. I think he's moving on from that, and I, I think he'll be fine moving forward. Yeah, I'm not. Look, I'm not trying to start anything at all. I'm not. That's not what I'm about. I just the world's different. Like, Q, when you came up, and when I came up, I came up earlier than you in the '90s. Dude, this world was not like it is right now, man. There was no internet. There was no social. There was none of that stuff. So I'm just kind of curious. Like, I'm not here to go in on this guy, but like, it's life, right? This happens. I'm just curious. How does that happen? Like, are people so lit that they don't know, or they so lit that they don't care, or is there not supposed to be that one guy who's paying attention to? Say, hey, yo, man, this is going out to the world, man. We can't do this. <laughs> hey, I, I honestly can't speak for for what what's happening in those moments. I, I, I <laughs> that's all I got for that. I just, I just try and look, stay, stay low, and stay out of the way. As far as what, if, if somebody that lit, I, I, I honestly can't tell you. I respect it. Fair enough. You know, I, I'm not there. I'm, not, I'm asking because I don't know, but I, I get yeah, you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know either. I, I, I don't know. I got you. I got you. Listen, you, like, when you look at the life that you've had and the way you came up, like, you're humble, man. You're grateful. You, a lot of people in your position may or may not be. And by the way, as good as your life is and as grateful as you are, it's not like you haven't experienced hardship as well, yet you remain grounded like right in short in short why are you the way you are who do you attribute that to 
my my pops, my mom, bless us, us, God rest us soul, my, my, my sister, my brothers, uh all of my friends and my you know, my, my um my village that helped raise me as far as my extended family, you know, from some of my best friends, parents and, 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 and siblings and things like that. But I, I attribute all of it to them. Because it never at any point in my life, no matter how good I got at basketball or, who, or what whoever thought of me, they never treated me any different. I'm still cute. I still put my pants on one leg at a time. Still got my responsibilities. I still need to be a good person. I still need to treat people right. And playing good at basketball never changes any of that. It don't make me any different than anybody else but other than you play basketball better than somebody. It don't make you a better person if you do bad people stuff. You're a bad person. Treat people how you want to uh, want them to treat your mom and your sister at all times. You know, you mentioned family a couple of times. You mentioned your dad. You mentioned pops. Like pops, he was from Mississippi, right? Like, what what was he like yes, when you were growing sir. up? How hard did he work? What kind of an example did he set for you? Man, so my pops worked for thirty thirty nine years at the Chicago Transit Authority CTA. He drove train the uh, the L train. Uh, <clears throat> He did that for 39 years, and he did it for like I didn't. He didn't retire until I was in maybe my ninth or tenth year because I had to like make him. And the whole time he was working, he never not worked at home. He he would always be working at home, fixing something, doing something, fixing cars, fixing something in the house, fixing radios, fixing VCRs. Just that's what he does. And he's not. He didn't go to college. He didn't do any of that. He was he was in the army, and when he came from the army. He migrated up here to the, you know, to the Midwest, to Chicago. And the one thing about my pops is that he, he read, he would read like anything. He, he read, he had a billion automobile books. He, he knew all of these different books about VCRs and he would be able to take apart and build anything. Like got a brand new house out in the suburbs in Chicago. Like pops, you want to get a theater? Yeah, let me get a theater. I thought, I thought I was going to get him a theater. He wanted me to buy him the materials for him to build his own theater. Oh, wow. And that's what he did from the, like, from everything. Like, no, I don't want, I don't want no carpenters coming in here, putting up no columns. I want to do all of that. And he did everything. And he got it in there rocking like a real theater <laughs> where the rumbles come up from up under you, the seats light up, lights under the seats on the stairs. Look like a real theater. He did that. Dude, I've seen that theater. I saw it in the Players Tribune interview. It it is the real deal, man. I can't believe that he built that with his own hands. So my last thought, own Q, hands. yeah, his own hands. So last thought, like when you came up and you made it, did that dynamic ever change between you and he, or was it always a matter of no, no, no? That's pops. I'm his son, and that's the way that respect is and always will be. It has always been that way. It is that way right now. He was just here for my birthday just in April. And he comes into my house like, man, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And it's always, it's never changed. It's been like that forever throughout any house. He come in, my pops is like, he the fruit guy. Like, why you got lights on in every house? Why? I mean, in every room of the house. Why you got this? Like, he to this day, it will never change. I don't curse in front of my pops. I got the ultimate respect for my pops. And that, that'll never change. I think that's great. Like I said, Q, you and I have not had a long-form kind of sit-down like this before, so I look forward to it. I appreciate you. I appreciate the time. appreciate the work you're still doing. And really, really nice to have you on this pod, Q. Thanks so much for doing that. No problem, man. I appreciate you having me, Jim.
Huge thanks to Q for that time and that conversation. That was fun. Make sure to check out his side hustle, the Knuckleheads Podcast. It's a great listen. Also, if you like what you just heard, I've got 173 other episodes just as good and a ton more coming your way. We are deep into this thing. We're not slowing down anytime soon. So make sure you're subscribed and you will never, ever miss a future conversation. As always, thank you very much for listening. Back next week with Ep 175. But until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Hi, Jim. Bella B in Calgary. Welcome back. I hope everyone is safe and healthy. The reason you were gone is none of our business. What is our business would be your Stanley Cup picks. Where the hell are they, Jim? Message saved. Next message. What's up, Vance McNamee? It's Brady in Rochester. I heard your take about Haslam and watched the video, and I thought, a player pointing his finger at another player being the highlight of the season just shows how soft the NBA has gotten. That being said, I'm going to be hopeful that we're going to have a competitive and hard-fought playoffs. But hey, tell Hawk I got his back on the dog mom thing. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim, what's up? This is David from Buffalo calling in about Tim Tebow getting a spot on the Jaguars roster to be a blocking back or tight end, H-back, whatever the fuck you want to call it. The guy had some moments that were nice with Denver, but Belichick exposed him playing quarterback. He doesn't deserve this spot. And Romy, it feels a lot like when Tony Romo gets a sponsor exemption into a PGA Tour event. There's millions of other guys out there that are better golfers than Tony Romo. But just because they don't have the name brand, that's what this feels like with Tim Tebow. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Jim? It's Dr. Dave. You know, Bob Baffert's such a member of the piece of crap club. I mean, every piece of crap that comes out of his mouth is worthy of a Rex and Albuquerque comment. His crap is in such a big log that it would make Greg Norman and Matt Kuchar jealous. War Bo Bichette being better than Fernando Tati. Fuck the Padres. Go Blue Jays. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Remy, were the Eagles drafting Devontae Smith? Were the Eagles winning 10 games with Jalen Hurts' QB and wore tan smack? You were that dude on that fucking bike with them chicks, rocking the mullet. You were killing it, my brother. You can deny it all you want, but let's put your SoCal war Jim Rome being a Dodgers fan persona aside and let's acknowledge the Eagles for a second. War Jalen Hurts, war Devontae Smith, were the Eagles winning the NFC East, and maybe going to the Super Bowl. I'm out, Rome. Peace. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, Justin in Melbourne, man. What a heartbreaking story about that college football player having his dreams toyed with. But I will tell you, there's some brighter news today. After 496 days in our foster care, a five-year-old little boy and his six-year-old little sister will be officially adopted today by our family. War Clone Nation, adding two more clones to the jungle, and this being the most kick-ass day of my life. Message saved. Next message. Fan smack. I got a beef with Tupperware. I'm trying to hoard gas here, and I can't find the right size lids for each of the bowls I have out. Message deleted. You have no more messages.